some of the interesting things with this model is that it just was universally accepted. This is just thrown out there, universally accepted, because it's great. It sounds wonderful. It's part of my job, and I, I like it. Mm -hmm. I like what it, the, the focus on it. Uh, and then there is seeing some more opposition to it through, I don't know if you ever had seen Matt Ranella's article yeah. uh, on that. He's written a couple there. I'm always an advocate of not just, just taking people hunting, but teaching them hunting, uh -huh. having those campfire-like conversations, having those that, that time in a vehicle, someone driving, talking about scenarios. I'm a big proponent of teaching the North American model of wildlife conservation and believe every hunter should know what that is. Mm -hmm. And as, as hunters, we need to know that and we need to know what this R3 thing is. Yeah. And to see where you fit into it, whether you do or don't, I think we all do, but just have, have an understanding of what it is. The hunting is conservation is getting so much flashback and so much opposition lately of well, hunting is not conservation. Because the, conservation has been co-opted by the anti-hunting. Right. Now they're conservationists. But right. the, the truth of the matter is they're preservationists and there's a really distinct difference between the two. Sometimes you need to kind of care what people think about that and be sensitive to the conversation so that you can have it in an appropriate way. Right. If you shove something in somebody's face, it's met with opposition. Welcome to Days in the Wild, Big Game Hunting Podcast. I'm going into my 15th year of podcasting. Can't believe it's been that long. I want to thank you all for helping me keep this fresh and staying motivated to bring you new content, etc. It hasn't been easy, but uh, it helps me fuel my own passion for hunting. Speaking of helping me keep this going, please go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags and use promo code John Stallone, all one word, to save 20%. And lastly, if you could, go to Howlful Wildlife and become a member. We have partnered with Go Hunt. So now you could get your cake and eat it too. What, I, what do I mean by this? Well, you can go to Go Hunt and if you look at their insider full subscription, it's $149. And with the insider, you get the Explorer as well. So we have both packages, but Explorer is, is their mapping software and it's completely dedicated just to hunting. You know, it's got the public and private land boundaries, offline maps, 3D, point tracker, and all the Western states are included. It's a, it's a great tool. So you get that plus on, with the insider, you get the advanced filtering and search tools, industry leading draw odds, unit profiles, and uh, easy to read state regulation overviews, and species profiles and expert insights and all this exclusive content plus monthly giveaways. So the Go Hunt Insider subscription is an awesome deal, right? But it's $149 a year. And if you've been on the fence and didn't know you, if you wanted to spend that $149, let me tell you, it's really worth it. But we're going to make it even sexier for you because if you come to Halfa Wildlife's site and you go to our membership portal and purchase a Insider or a Explorer package, you not only get a free subscription to Go Hunt and get all those awesome benefits that we talked about, but you get all the benefits of becoming a Howl for Wildlife member. And that includes our discounts with our partners, 20% or more with our partners, 
you are automatically included in the Halfa Wildlife giveaway, monthly giveaways for gear and hunt giveaways for the year. Plus, as a 501c3, your portion of your membership is tax deductible and you're helping out a great cause. Alpha Wildlife is out there advocating for the hunter and helping educate the non-hunting public so that uh, we can keep doing this for, for perpetuity here and so that our kids and our grandkids can enjoy it. And uh, it's a really great system and we're super thankful that uh, Go Hunt jumped on board with us. And um, it's a great way to support Halifa Wildlife. It's a great way to get awesome tools that you will use. I use Go Hunt Insider all the time. I've been a member for a very long time and it's how I get a lot of my tags by doing the research through there. And now you're getting extra stuff with it. So it's a great, great system. So go check it out. Become a member today. And uh, let's roll into this next episode. Thanks. It was a sh- really shitty, shitty conditions. My, We got there the night before opening day. And then we got out that morning. And in the morning, it was like for maybe a half an hour, the first light, whatever was 12, 12, maybe 15 max miles per hour wind which was already shitty to get with yeah and it just got you know progressively worse <laughs> the whole time we were there so yeah it's been bad here the wind is stupid strong making it really difficult and got one of my work participants a nice tom the other day so that's pretty cool that's our that's my first work turkey <laughs> anyway so nice. that was pretty that was pretty sweet that's awesome a little um. Yeah, nice little. It's called a mim, but then he went to the real hens and had to had to do a little snut sneak on him after that, so it worked out pretty good. Nice, nice. Yeah, it was we. Uh, I mean, I got to kind of hunt them like elk here, unless you really know where they're at or what ponds they're using or whatever, which oh, I yeah. don't because we're hunting in a unit that's almost four hours from my house. So it's like you're going out there making location bugles, basically, <laughs> you know, just yeah. going spot yeah. to spot using the truck a lot. I mean, you could do it by hiking, which I would normally rather do, but I can't do that with my kids because they're just, they'll be complaining by the, you know, <laughs> half an hour in. Um, but uh, yeah, plus I had the whole clan and my wife and my, my son and both the girls had the tag. Yeah, that's a lot. We had... Uh, about an hour and a half after first light was probably my fifth location try. It's fifth or sixth. And I got uh I got like three answers back. It was like, you know, three of them let off and they were fairly close. So, you know, the truck was parked right there. I just kind of got out of the truck and I made the call and and they answered back. So I'm like, all right, Ella, come on, let's go. I'm just gonna take one of you guys. The other one can sit in the truck with mom and Luca, and you guys, we're gonna go. And uh, we went out there, and we got set up, and they were coming, man. They were coming in on a string because I heard the gobble was getting closer and closer, and there was like a rise with a bunch of deadfall and uh, like it's an old burn area right there. And they were coming towards us, and then all of a sudden they just shut up, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I'm like. Hmm. 
think maybe they saw the truck. And then I found out later that my wife got out of the truck with my son because he had to go to the bathroom. So I'm thinking when they came over the top, they saw them and were like, screw this. And they yeah. buggered off. But I didn't, you know, I just kept calling when they stopped answering. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I got a call from my right, which would have been across the road. They would have had to come across the road. And then he stopped. And then out of nowhere, I hear one behind us. I'm like, what the hell? So I'm like, all right, let's get around the tree. And we got set up on the other side. And, you know, I didn't go get the decoy or anything, but it was just sitting out behind us. And this one seemed like he was coming in. And again, I think the truck was just, we were just way too close to the truck. I think they just came. They got to a point, they saw the truck and they were like, screw this. Yeah. And then the next day was even windier. It was just, that was just crazy. I, I just, the only thing I would manage to call and I called in a couple of hands and that was it. And just, you know, we, we got, to, we had a couple cross up three times. We had him cross in front of us on the truck while we were driving, which was like, Oh my God, I can't believe this happened. We, you know, and we try to set up on him, but it never, never worked out. So, yeah. Yeah. So now my, my, both my daughters think they're, they're jinxed when it comes to turkey calling. They just don't know that or turkey hunting. They just don't know that their dad's a shit turkey hunter. And, uh, <laughs> turkey hunting in arizona is super tough yeah i i just i didn't even, i'm not even buying a tag it's not gonna happen really yeah my my wife and is i mean our kid just turned a month old and so oh we're, yeah uh, yeah she just texted me and said i need to take a nap it's like okay well <laughs> right after i'm not recording we'll get that done <laughs> <laughs> no it's been been a lot of coffee drinking and it's like, man, we're doing this all over again. We sure are doing this all over again. Yeah. I'm not doing it again. You know, kind of really make sure that doesn't happen again. Because oh. two is plenty. Yeah. That's <laughs> exhausting. That's what I had said originally, but, you know, my wife talked me into another one. So, <laughs> which is okay She's because a, I got, I got the, I got course. the son on the third try. So, <laughs> yeah. Yep. I got two boys. Yeah, and she she just wanted to be a boy mom because she works with high schoolers all every day, and high schooler high school girls scare the crap out of her. Really, just, just <laughs> nonstop like trying and boy stuff and nonstop. It's just exhausting. So yeah, it, it was funny hearing the same girl complain about this boy and I know more about this high school drama than I really care about. Mm-hmm. And I tell her that it's like, I, I, you know, I'm going to listen to you, but I really don't care about this drama. <laughs> and the boys in this drama are already moving on. It's just, it's done. It's over. Don't care. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So I look forward to that with, with, uh, raising a couple boys. Cause I don't have any sisters. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. I would have figured it out, but yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, there's definitely differences in raising them both, but for the most part, it's yeah. the same shit. So, yeah. Well, anyway, why don't you give us a rundown about yourself and who you are and what you do? And yeah, yeah. Name's Clint Whitley uh, here in South Dakota, Rapid City, South Dakota. Born and raised in South Dakota, and love it here. I love the state. Love the, the hunting. Graduated from University of Sioux Falls, did biology route, master's in education, got an education degree through that, 
went into formal education. So I taught seventh and eighth grade science, East, East River, South Dakota. Got done with that and said, I'm never teaching again. Middle school is rough. It's really, really rough. And a uh, year after that, at the end of that year, my wife and I got married, finished grad school, and uh, um, moved to Western Colorado. And that was that was a really awesome move. One of the best things for us got to just get away, go learn, meet new people, kind of learn all the different culture. Even I know it's only like thirteen hours away, but got to got to get some good life experience. And I, for one, have been saying since I was I don't know how old, saying I want to get on this interstate and go get into some mountains and get some new experiences. So that was kind of one of those pieces. It was in the, my proposal to my wife saying, yeah, this is what I'm offering you, but guess what? It comes with a little, little extra. It, it comes with Alaska, Wyoming, Montana, or Colorado. So I'm going <laughs> to pick one. I'm glad Alaska didn't happen. Cause that, it, it, I know that wouldn't have worked out. That, that's Nothing tough. Against it. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been way too far. We came home way too often. Just not. We wouldn't have had the family support. We're too too much of a family. Relying on our family. So uh, ended up in Western Colorado for eight years and loved that. Really learned to elk hunt. Really learned to mule deer hunt. And diving into to archery in the mountains is definitely something I, I'm really thankful for doing and getting out of a tree stand like we did in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Missed the the bird hunting the waterfowl especially pheasants pheasant hunting was just even though it was south Dakota, it's just something we did when we got kind of bored right uh, or at the end of the year when all the out-of-staters had left so that's not something that was huge on our list to do but got to got, big games my thing i really really enjoy big game and just fill in the the middle stuff with the trapping and birds, small game, fishing, turkeys, like we were just talking about. So right. got back to South Dakota just a year ago. Yeah, no, we're going on a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So, and, and uh, got my bo- wife and I both got, got some amazing job opportunities within a week of each other. So we knew it was a, a, a thing that uh, was a little higher than us and, and what our calling is. So that was something that we were, meant to do so it was a it was an obvious thing to come home uh but to west river south dakota mm-hmm. and uh i i'm so glad i made that switch so glad and be able to just run over to colorado here and there when i need to to, to go shoot an elk or or try to and right. looking at it again at a colorado mule deer hunt this this year burn a few points i don't like building up points too far but just enough to get a <laughs> get a cool tag yeah, yeah. so I, I don't i've had this argument with or not argument discussion with a buddy of mine that you don't really need to build up mule deer points in Colorado. Yeah. Some of those big, big units are high point units are great. And wonderful, but there's a lot of really yeah, good, Colorado's mule deer. Got a good, good mule yeah. deer in every unit. Yeah. 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 So I, I, st- I, uh, was in the classroom in Colorado, but got out of it in the outdoor education and got back into it in South Dakota here. So my job is kind of, I uh, work for an agency that uh, focuses on on a R3 model uh, that uh, focuses on getting people in the outdoors, primarily hunting, fishing. So that's a, been a – it's not really work at all. I really enjoyed what I do and and begin, but get to be in the field a lot. I spend a lot more time in the field and it's making me a better hunter and, and a better person to, 
to teach people and get to learn how to how to be a guide in a way it's something i've never really done mm-hmm. so it's been that's been a it's been a great uh last 10 years for sure awesome that's awesome so i mean what are you what are some of the things that you're doing with the uh with the r3 stuff are you are you heading up programs what what's uh yeah what's your job so, until like, exactly yeah I, and i know like r3 has become this a little bit more of a household term i was gonna say but, maybe we should tell people what r3 is because i don't yeah, know if everybody knows yeah. What that is yeah exactly and it's still not super widespread there's still still quite a bit there but um the council to advance hunting and shooting sports i believe is where a lot of this is, has started they've got this model called an oram model outdoor recreation something yeah, adoption model there it is <laughs> the outdoor mm-hmm. rec- recreation adoption model i had to think about that and within that you have these three r words recruitment retention and reactivation right so this is this is a linear model but you can jump into it wherever but it kind of starts with a uh, recruiting a new hunter uh, in that or fisherman let's just say sportsman mm-hmm. sports sports persons yeah. uh, no, you don't have to be that politically correct we know the sports men in, includes women as well <laughs> yeah 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 I, i'm not thinking about the other made up genders i'm just no 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 that. there's women there's women, <laughs> and men. No, no women. as no far women. as days in the wild podcast is concerned there's women and there's men Yep. You can exactly. you can you can like the same sex. That's fine with me. But there's no other genders. <laughs> that or, is another or, reason. Or pronouns. <laughs> That's another reason I'm really glad I got out of the classroom. I taught AP environmental or AP environmental science and AP bio, and I said some things that really wouldn't fly anymore. Right. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I probably would lose my job. Uh, so so this R three <laughs> thing came about. I haven't really dug into the history, but it's been recent. It's been pretty recent. Yeah, in the last 15 years or so. Yeah. 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 So it kind of creating a model of how to get people, more sportsmen out there. And through that recruitment process, you're creating awareness. uh, You're creating some interest. Uh, Folks are going through a trial period and just to to see if they like it. But I, I really want to put emphasis on that awareness piece because not everything is it, you're not creating hunters out of everybody no. or fishermen out of everybody that's not the not the point i think uh advocates is also a huge huge proponent of of what we're doing through this r3 model mm-hmm. advocates are the people that are all the way in the middle like you and i've talked before you got the right. five percent on one end or one percent on five percent on one end five percent on the other and everyone in the middle. Uh, so having a Having advocates out there for us is super important. So we're we're recruiting. And when we're recruiting, we are handholding. Or there's people that are that are going out and figuring this out on their, themselves. But myself, I'm a I'm a recruiter. I go out and I find well, people find me uh, through kind of how our stuff is set up, but they're uh, they're interested in hunting. They watched a hunting show, they see the beef and now chicken prices Mm -hmm. uh and it's it's definitely a food driven thing uh for a lot of people or it's uh i had some time in 2020 to get out and i want to go do some do some hunting so there's a lot and a lot of people that just don't have a clue what they're doing and i would really really be interested in the next couple of years to see kind of some of the 
the law enforcement data on some of our conservation officers running into people that just are making dumb mistakes because they don't have a clue. It's just straight ignorance. They're going to shoot hens. They're going to shoot, mm-hmm. accidentally shoot two at a time. They're going to do stuff like that. And uh, my job is really to kind of help bridge that learning learning curve. So they can then, that person can decide to continue uh, with support or without without support. And that's kind of what that retention step is. Right. So we're retaining them, keeping them around. Uh, and how that's done is through a variety of things. Hopefully they get involved with a mentor or another person, a hunting buddy, or they get involved with a community of some sort uh, to, to continue that support or the really self-driven people. They're just shooting their bow in the backyard and figuring it out and watching YouTube videos. A lot of self-taught taught folks out there which um, that's more me. That's, that's a lot of me. I definitely was raised in a, in a hunting family mm-hmm. and my, my dad and grandpa taught me a lot, but the, uh, I, I went and branched out and taught myself how to trap and taught myself how to shoot a bow. And I uh, yeah. did a few of those things that uh, I didn't do growing up. Yeah. So that's two R's. We got re- recruitment and retention and then there's reactivation. So people can eventually, or sometimes once they're, a hunter, let's classify them as a hunter, they will lapse and go into this stagnant period where it's just not a yeah. priority. Work, work gets work. in the way, life gets in the floor. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, they have a kid <laughs> and they're like, this is too much. And hopefully they, you can reactivate them and bring them back to the retention step. So that that's kind of cyclical there. Uh, so recruitment, retention, and reactivation. Some of the interesting things with this model is that it just – was universally accepted. Uh, this is just thrown out there, universally accepted, because it's great. It's, it sounds wonderful. It's part of my job, and I, I like it. Mm-hmm. I like what it, the, the focus on it. Uh, and then there there is seeing some more opposition to it through. I don't know if you ever had seen Matt Ranella's article yeah. uh, on that. He's written a couple there, so that there is a little opposition. To I was going to say, I, I, w- I was going to play devil's advocate with you right there, but there's, there's been, so I was pushing R3 a few years ago and I've kind of, I don't want to say I've gotten away from it, but I've gotten away from it a little bit. I have a little bit different philosophy on, on, on what to do and how to do it. So it's still an mm-hmm. R3 thing, but so I met a lot of opposition we don't need any more hunters. There's already too much. There's already too much uh, competition. Da, da 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 da. And I mean, I got that from a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. How is yeah. how is it that they're saying that you know we're uh, our numbers are dwindling when we have the same you know number of licenses since 19 whatever it was you know people citing statistics and whatever, and and I was just like, yeah, we might be the same numbers, but the population has grown. We're 8 billion people in the world, you know, or now 330, let's talk about North America, you know, or United States, 330 million or whatever it is, 339. I don't know. I lost count, but, um, you're the same amount of licenses with twice the amount of people. Right. So you're, you know, you're not as relevant, <laughs> you know, you're not, yes. you're not as important to the government <laughs> as right. you once were. And the, these people that are trying to do more R3 and recruit more people are trying to make you more relevant. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it so that you're not going to lose more hunting privileges. 
Because what's going to happen is you're talking about competition. Instead of there being more hunters, you're just going to keep losing more and more opportunity. Yeah. Exactly. So, and that's, that's creating advocates. That's right. One of my, one of my big goals just personally and why I started my, my podcast. And I didn't include that in my intro, but that's how we got connected. I have the Western Hunting Up podcast. Yep. And I'm working with these folks that, uh, from Outfitter Media, just kind of consultants on, uh, helping me build my podcast and create structure around it and everything. And one of the things as podcasters you look at is monetization. How do you support it? And how do you quit that job? You don't like, well, I got a job I really like. I don't want to quit my job. Right. And <laughs> making, making money is not really high on my list at all. Yeah. I sure so love to break even for, for the subscriptions. <laughs> for me, it's not on the list at all anymore. I don't really, I don't do anything to monetize this anymore. Like I just completely walked away from that model and said, I'm just going to do what I want to do and how I want to do yeah. it. And I don't need this to feed my family. You know, I'm not doing, I'm doing this because of the passion for it, not because of the, you know, the uh, desire to make money off of something I like doing. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm an educator. Mm -hmm. I have been in the classroom. I go from, it's hunting at work to hunting, uh, hunting podcasts to, uh, hunting conversations at the dinner table. So that I have to kind of maintain a level level of consistency of what my wife likes to do, right. <laughs> That's a, right. which is not, she's not a hunter. Uh, but you got to talk about bed, bath and beyond a little bit too. Yeah. 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 No, she's, she's, uh, into sports. Uh, that's what she does for work. And oh, cool. so, and, and working with high school kids. So that's her, her deal. So I, I got to really tone down the hunting sometimes and talk about other, other things. Cause my life is just surrounded by hunting and I don't get old. I don't get tired of it. Don't get tired of it at all. I told you earlier, it's like not crazy about Turkin. Mm -hmm. but took my first participant out this last last week and got a got a first bird and i was kind of going into it like god just i don't know turkeys as well as i know deer and elk and they're just so in inconsistent i can't figure them out i don't mm -hmm. know where they're gonna be i'm not as good of a turkey caller but i'm just gonna i decided i'm gonna stick to my basics of just my, my simple light calls and it worked out, <laughs> it worked yeah. out. I, I knew where some heads were we sat up and and i called sat there for a little while just some nice little chirps and and yelps and, and purrs on the on the slate call and here i see a tom strutting walking through the the rolling hills there and i told my participant over there over there you see you see him coming through you see him coming through never never really could see it until it know, was she right missed there. half of the, yeah <laughs> until she missed half this the strutting but it, it wasn't coming in it was headed to where we had seen some real hens that were hung up because like you're saying the wind you're having struggles with the wind here in south dakota has been just nuts lately so oh, they've just been it's hang, always nuts hanging, in south dakota <laughs> yeah and they've just been hanging up in in the trees not talking it's been cold and so we that turkey just kind of skirted the edge at i don't know 80 to 100 yards so it, it was just way out of range ended up putting a stock on it and and she shot it 38 yards and smoked him and i just had that rush of oh my gosh you did it you did it yeah that was so that was so cool so cool it's like i had to remind myself like i'm not really a turkey hunter but oh i am i'm a hunter That's, i like this right exactly <laughs> i really like that it just got me excited and motivated to to keep rolling with with the next round of people that i'm taking out so that's awesome yeah the um 
kind of with, circling back to that, that R3 model is is really doing that, continuing support. And I'm always an advocate of not just, just taking people hunting, but teaching them hunting, uh-huh. having those campfire-like conversations, having those that that time in a vehicle, someone driving, talking about scenarios. Uh, I'm a big proponent of teaching the North American model of wildlife conservation and believe every hunter should know what that is. Mm-hmm. And as, as hunters, we need to know that and we need to know what this R3 thing is yeah. and to see where you fit into it, whether you do or don't, I think we all do, but just have, have an understanding of what it is. And I think uh, that it, it's kind of changing some of the, the ways that we, it, it is changing the ways of how we're getting new people in the outdoors and the, the old ways, typically this, this sounds horrible, but it sounds kids, kids using the outdoors is best. It's wonderful. It, it is. It absolutely is. I'm doing the exact same thing uh, with my kids. You're doing that with your kids, get mm-hmm. the kids in the outdoors. Absolutely. Yeah. That's recruitment. We have to do that. Exactly. It's a generational thing. It's a family thing, but recruiting new hunters is not sent essentially just about those kids no. focusing on a whole family unit is what our three is has shown to be really effective getting mom out in the field now you just got the whole family uh you if you've got that whole family kind of figuring things out together or enjoying the outdoors together I, the effectiveness of that model is kind of tenfold yeah. uh, in my opinion so absolutely that's it, it, it does, and why we still got to focus on kids is you you don't always have that family support so you still got to keep kids there getting them outdoors because you gotta gotta take a kid fishing or or maybe the neighbor kid or whoever mm-hmm. it is take them fishing because grandma grandpa ain't gonna do it and then when they become become of age to drive or whatever they can go fishing they can go do that they, they right. want to do it right so you know so for me that was one of the key things that i was telling people when i was getting that opposition. Cause originally I was like, you know, take a coworker hunting and, you know, just give them, give them the experience so they could see my, my philosophy for it. And, and you mentioned something about this too, and we're going to hit this in a little bit, but is it's more than likely it's not going to be for them. Right. Especially if you take them on a hunt that requires a lot of effort, they're going to see mm-hmm. what kind of goes into it. They're going to be like, Oh, you know what? This is, this is pretty cool, but it's really tough. And I don't really have the, the time to spend to get to that level uh, and so on and so forth. But they're going to have a deep understanding of what it is that you do. And, what, and now they're going to be a sympathizer versus somebody who would be possibly opposed to you in the ballot box. But I was always telling people, I'm like, listen, you don't want to competition. So take a kid, you know, that's not going to be competition for you. Right. Um, most of the time there's youth tags that you can't get anyway. And by the time they're of age to maybe start competing with you, you know, you're probably going to be in a different level in life. You're going to be a lot less worried about, you know, cause I know I can, I've seen myself, I'm 46 now I've drifted you know, several times back and forth on that scale of, uh, of, of a sportsman and, um, you know, things just become less important. It's not like, Oh, I got to go fill a tag or, you know, whatever, whatever the stages are limiting out or trophy hunter method and this and all these other things, you know, and you're probably going to be at a different level in life, but you created 
a ally either in the ballot box or somebody who's going to be part of the hunting and fishing world right and it's i mean so i i get the competition thing i get the whole not wanting to make it harder on yourself but it's a necessary evil and it's something that has to happen and those people that are opposed to it are kind of cutting off their noses to spite their face and um i think backcountry hunters and anglers even removed it from their their core values they removed it because they were getting backlash from their own members and they're like you know what screw this This isn't that good for membership sales (laughs) that's why they removed it it's not because they don't believe in it (laughs) right right which they had a i remember chatting with someone there they had a whole nationwide initiative and yeah uh, oh yeah they (laughs) they, around that that thing (laughs) they received a bunch of backlash from their from their members and that's why they were like you know what let's not push this because this don't look good for us yeah. you know we don't want to lose members <laughs> it's 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 stupid it's a really stupid you know, situation but i mean it makes me think about you know my job it, it, one of the things that i do that is get people out of this field and, and like we're talking about but mm-hmm. if i do my job really really well Yes, I'm creating that opposition for myself because Black Hills of South Dakota, Western South Dakota is a pretty small area mm-hmm. uh, of public land in relation to the rest of the West. It's right. not Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, Nevada at all. Nope. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of private land in South Dakota. Yeah. And, and when I'm taking people to certain areas, it's like, well, this area right here has a lot of deer issues. There's a lot of deer here. Well, shoot, all 20, 30, 40 participants that I have I go knocking on a door in that same area mm-hmm. or they're going out on the prairie to kind of some of the same places as I'm going. Right. And I didn't, I don't send anybody to certain areas. That's what I'm really trying not to blow up any of my spots whatsoever. Cause I want to go have that place that's a little more secluded. Right. But it's a, t- it's enjoy- a tough thing. It's a tough balance. <laughs> yeah. And it, I just ground myself every time that, I don't care. I just enjoy this. I just really enjoy sharing. I really enjoy sharing that. And if there's more people out there, whatever, we're not going to have to see the, those issues as much on the, on the ballot box. And we're not going to have to have those conversations as much of why this is a bad idea, whatever that thing is, piece of legislation or why it's a good idea. Uh, It's, it's more of a bigger community. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, I'm a big proponent of that. So I'll stand behind R3. I think it's a, a wonderful thing and and has has uh, really changed uh, a lot in the last 10 years. I was, I'm going to say 10 years. So I've been in outdoor education uh, since 2008, and it's changed a lot from, from that point. And, and I've kind of got my methods of, of how I like to be effective in doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to share that, so it's been a fun thing. I get I get to. I mean, I took a vegetarian to ex vegetarian out hunting mm-hmm. last year. That's yeah, cool. Just the just the wildest thing. She transplanted from California. Mm-hmm. Like many people, it, it's funny. Most people that I run into and work with that I want to learn that want to learn how to hunt, they're from California, Colorado. 
uh, Florida, even Texas, they're all new, no, no New Yorkers actually, uh, which is fine. <laughs> uh, but they're from somewhere else and they want to learn. So they're just, they're different. It's just that they're from a different culture and coming in, they're just sponges and they want to learn and they want to learn, but they're just don't know. And this, this person I knew was going to be a challenge, a really big challenge because it's green as can be, uh, probably didn't hasn't still hasn't camped in in her life and hasn't hasn't had those outdoor experiences of just playing in the dirt as a kid building forts out near in the trees all those things that you start your woodsmanship skills as a, as a young age those don't exist and this is going to be a, a pretty big challenge we had some amazing properties to go do this on but i worked my tail off on that hunt because there is we didn't hunt out of a blind or anything. It was on the ground uh, in an area with lots and lots of deer, but those deer have to be in front of that new hunter for probably 10 minutes, at least before we can find it, Mm -hmm. find it in the scope before we can uh, identify what it is. We have to make that decision of, okay, this is a, this is a young deer. Mm -hmm. Do you, are you okay with shooting a young deer? And I had people that really didn't want to shoot the, the fawn didn't want to shoot the they wanted a big doe and we did both we had some people that that shot those younger deer because mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't matter they're that um we weren't worried about or shooting the mom it's not it's fine there's plenty of deer they'll jump in with the rest of the herd and they're good but there's that piece where you walk up to a smaller young animal there's no spots on it but right you right. walk up to it and it's just oh that was a young deer some people just didn't care. It was their first animal and there's too much other excitement built up around that. So anyway, so there's all those conversations you got to have with this individual of decision-making and then putting them on it. Just, you know, you're a guide, mm-hmm. um, putting them on it and trying to find it and then deciding and then dealing with the, the, the emotions to that. Uh, luckily I didn't really have a whole lot of challenges with that part. Uh, it's more people that are no idea what to expect. And mm-hmm. then once they get done with that first hunt, they still are. I don't know what I experienced. I got to think about this. <laughs> they have mm-hmm. to think about this. Right. But I'm going to get back to you in a month, in a week, figuring out as I total, totally analyze what I just did. And, and it's almost like they're in a shock. That lady with the turkey the other day, mm-hmm. She, I think she was just in shock. Holy smokes, that's a turkey on the ground. I killed it. That's what I did. Yep. Yep. Okay. Moving on. All right. We're going to gut this thing. We're going to, we ended up plucking the whole thing and gutting it. And okay, this is what we're doing. It's part of what I'm doing. But so, yeah, with that, with that vegetarian, I didn't know that till well after. And we're out there in in California, like winter clothes. (laughs) I like it. Winter clothes that a Californian would have moving to South Dakota, let's say. And, got her her deer and dove into it she gutted it we drug it out to the truck and just one of those things that it was very rewarding for me Mm -hmm. very very rewarding for me and i got to then see like work on my work on my my hunting skills like i had to analyze everything when i'm hunting by myself i just do it i just do it kind of give it a quick thought and and uh, uh move on but with this participant i'm and all my participants, I'm talking it out. I'm talking through it. I'm, I'm helping, having them help make decisions. 
And, and I think that's what we need to do is other people that are not doing this for a living, Mm -hmm. uh, is, is figure out how to have those conversations and be prepared for, uh, whatever that might, that conversation, wherever it goes, right. Realize that they do not know what to expect. Mm -hmm. A lot of them do not have a clue. The adults that are coming into the hunting. Um, I, I realized my three-year-old as we gutted our first deer this last fall and he saw me pull the heart out. I could see little eyes just wide as can be Mm -hmm. taking it all in and learning. And he had no idea what to expect. He just, he asked me every, every meal we have some meat. What is, what is it last night? Yesterday we made some pork ribs and what is that? What did, what did it come from? He wants to know Mm -hmm. where it came from and how did it die? So it's a, I have zero problem with those conversations with my kid for him to know where our food comes from, for it to be a normal thing of this is something a farmer or rancher raised and they butchered it and then they took the meat off of it. So that's kind of our conversations with him that is so foreign to, to many adults as well. Even when the, even in the, what we do with domestic animals, it's, it's foreign and, they yeah. just want to see it showing up in a, right. a little styrofoam tray with some strand wrap over top. Exactly. I, I had that conversation yesterday with somebody. It was like, I'm like, but you eat meat, you know? And they're like, yeah, I know, but I just can't. I'm like, you know, she's not, she's not against hunting at all, but she just can't participate in it. I'm like, so, yeah, I know. So it's, like, it's like a tough thing. It's not for everybody, and I don't. It's good that's not for everybody because, of course, we wouldn't want everybody to do it. But you know, it's just it's funny how the rationalization of not somebody like her, but somebody who's like against hunting, but that eats meat, like that that I, I that doesn't compute with me. Like vegans, vegetarians, that computes with me. You took a stance. You took a side that's it. You don't want to have any whatever products that, that are derived from animals. Fine. That, I mean, I get it. That to me, it makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't agree with it. You know, I feel like if you look at, at the philosophy of it all, if you're doing it because you're trying to save, if you're doing it because you think it's a healthier choice, that's one thing. That's even, I don't fault you at all for that. That's like, okay, because be you go do you but the whole not wanting to hurt animals thing like how many animals hurt to cultivate a field you know get killed and whatever to cultivate a field that's just that's just crazy to me but the people who drive me the most insane are the people who will get on my instagram and berate me for freaking shooting something and then you go check out their their instagram and they got selfies of them in their hamburger and they're like (laughs) they both died yeah <laughs> one, of them, both one, one of them potentially lived in a feed pen his whole life and uh you know i don't know but just only purpose of living yep. dying to be eight right exactly <laughs> yeah that, that that shit just drives me bad shit but anyway um i started to touch on it earlier because i heard you saying when you were talking about part of your job is building advocacy and i think that's i think that's the the route that most of us need to really start going i think right now i know one of, one of the things that we're doing with Howl for wildlife is 
our education program. And um, it should be up on our site here soon in the next couple of weeks or maybe by the time oh, cool. this – probably by the time this airs, it'll be up. Um, so there will be an education program there. And what we're doing is we're trying to make a campaign, both grassroots and mainstream media, to get non-hunters, not anti-hunters, but non-hunters to become more informed – on you know the North American conservation model, uh, what hunting and fishing, uh, where funding comes for conservation, where all you know how management is done and what goes into hunting and so on and so forth. And I think one of the things that we need to do as a grassroots effort to, as hunters in general, is we need to start sparking conversations with you know our friend Joe Smith at work who doesn't hunt or fish and, you know, inject in the conversation, Hey, did you know, you know, just, just like a fun thing in the office, maybe like, Hey, a show of hands, uh, who knows where, you know, the funding comes from for, uh, management of wildlife and deer. And I guarantee you everybody's going to say taxes or, uh, oh, you know, yeah. from the government or whatever. And, and, you know, that's a great place for you to inject what it is that, the sportsmen of the United States do and what it means to wildlife and wild places. You know, I, I've had conversations by like out on my mountain biking on the trail or whatever. Hey, do you know re reason why you have access to this place? You know, no, no, nobody knows. They don't know. Hell half the hunters out there and, and sportsmen out there don't know how this all works, but, you know, you have a conversation with somebody who mountain bikes and be like, yeah, you know, you got access to that, to that place because largely in part because of the efforts of sportsmen, you know, funding from sportsmen. <laughs> That's why you can go mountain biking there. That's why you can go hike that trail and see elk. That's why you can, you know, go fishing over there or, you know, anything or any outdoor activity really that, that is public lands for the most part are generally funded by sportsmen and it's in a large getting, part. The hunting is conservation is getting so much flashback and so much opposition lately of well, hunting is not conservation. Right. Well, the, because the, conservation has been co-opted by the anti-hunting. Right. Now they're conservationists, but right. the, the truth of the matter is they're preservationists and there's a really distinct difference between the two that's a basic ninth grade science term that i covered yeah. <laughs> preservation versus conservation two totally different things yeah. and ninth graders don't get it some did yeah uh a lot of adults don't get it yeah well you know if you there there's conservationists are participants in the system versus spectators and you know, I let me back up a second here. We're going going back to the the education program. So for those of you who want to learn and, for lack of better terminology, arm yourself with as much knowledge as possible, uh, Half Wildlife Education Program will be on there. There there's a a long form article I'll call it on the first page that you can direct non hunters to, and they can read through the article, and then there's a 10 question quiz at the end 
And if they take the quiz, they get rewarded right now. They get like 28% off of Black Rifle Coffee or something like that. But we're, it's, a, it's a reward that's not hunting specific or fishing specific. But it's an excellent article. It debunks a lot of the anti-hunting myths and propaganda that's put out there. But I think hunters should go read it and educate themselves also and start sparking these conversations with non-hunting. Like, you don't want to recruit hunters? Fine. That's I, I, I get your argument. I get your argument for not wanting to create competition. I don't agree with your argument, but I get it. So if you're not wanting to do that, you need to at least... Let people be okay with what you're doing. Exactly. Talk about it. Yeah, talk about it. You know, and, and don't just feed them the statistics that's great. We, I mean, I want you to give them the science. I want you to give them the data. I want them to, to know that this is coming from a place of truth. But then you can also talk to them about what it means to you and your family and the food that comes from it and all that other great stuff. And yeah, the, the, I hunt to help the deer populations. No, right. not really. That's not my job. Yeah. We have, we have wildlife <laughs> managers that do that, that set those numbers and they, they take care of that. But you are a tool. I am a tool. You are Absolutely. a tool. To I am a tool right. in that. So that that common thing, oh, I do it for for this, is kind of one of those those textbook go to things that that's been said for decades, and it hasn't done a thing in the conversation. Right. I don't. I don't think it's done a thing. So having the more personal conversation of why you do this. Mm-hmm. why you're going out in the woods, why you're challenging yourself with a stick and a string and, and getting up at a stupid hour of the day, to yeah. go, go spend some time in absolute misery, right? Cold, wet snow or hot. I can't forget hot. Cause mm-hmm. you guys get that. Oh yeah. <laughs> hunting, in the, hunting in the heat. And like you're out, it's like it's summertime. Um, why, why you do that? And, you challenged me a couple of weeks ago, just like, what's the answer? What do we, how do we focus on this? And I, I really brought it down to a few components. And the, the number one, I think is overarching is learning to have that conversation, not just having the conversation, but learn how to do it. Right. That comes down to your social media conversations, mm-hmm. your in-person conversations. And I know we, we, a lot of us really don't care what other people think, mm-hmm. but I think that there is an important balance of that. Sometimes you need to kind of, kind of care what people think about that and be sensitive to the conversation so that you can have it in an appropriate way. Right. If you shove something in somebody's face, it's met with opposition. Right. Um, Absolutely. Teaching, Absolutely. teaching middle school boys or high school boys, if you tell them one way met with opposition, uh, if you show them and relate with them and build a relationship with them, you are going to be trusted quite a bit more. A lot of what I do on the daily basis is centered around relationship building. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, talking about hunting is probably not a public transportation like conversation when you're sitting next to somebody and, and, uh, <laughs> you don't even know who they are. Mm-hmm. Probably a decent comment. It could be, uh, but probably not necessarily always the best setting. Uh, having a relationship with someone and your coworkers, and they get to know you and they trust you and they find mm-hmm. out that you aren't just a redneck hillbilly uh, murderer killer person. Uh, you are a, a nice guy. You're 
you're the the guy down the the office two doors down oh and you do this thing that on the weekends that's pretty cool mm-hmm. okay you, the first you're going to be more trusted you're going to have a lot more relevancy in what you say uh so i think having a relationship with people and then learning how to have a conversation with tact um that that is yeah and it's again, not the easiest thing to do right you know no 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 and, and we're not and I fumble all over my words all over the place. I can't believe I started a, a, a podcast, <laughs> but my, um, it, I've really worked on that in my teaching and, and when I was a classroom teacher and when I'm, I'm an mm-hmm. informal educator now, just really focusing on what are my key points? Here's what I, I can come back to. And I'm not going to get offensive or, or raise my blood pressure uh, too high. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to have a nice calm conversation with somebody that's effective. Right. Getting an argument does not do do anything. I have, I I'm, I back away from a lot of conversations and, and chance to to get into it. Oh yeah, uh, because I don't. That's not my personality. I found that that doesn't work. Yelling at middle school students, high school students didn't work. Right. Yelling didn't work. <laughs> it took me three years of teaching to to figure that out. Say okay, no more yelling. I mean, it doesn't work at all. They're the most frustrating little rats in the world sometimes right but it did not work i needed to learn how to have that conversation with the people i was trying to educate and teach Mm -hmm. and that's your pedagogy that's what what teachers work on is is figuring out how how to say things that that are received and they understand it Mm -hmm. um you're the mediator you're the person in between the information that just trying to deliver it in a way that makes sense because in California, Colorado, they've seen the ads of against bear hunting. They've seen the ads and all this this uh, media that says it's bad. Well, mm-hmm. you now need to be the cognitive mediator that explains what is that. That information's out there, and it's it's. I, don't, I can't think of many people that really trust a whole lot of media anymore. Right, uh, but, but having a but still, you know, you get exposed to it. Yeah, you know, I. I... I was having this conversation with one of my employees and I was telling him, I'm like, you know, listen, if I woke up every single day and I told you that you were a goat every day, I just kept referring to you as a goat. Eventually you're going to start thinking that you're a goat in some way, shape or form. Right. And I mean, that's really extreme, but these people, they get bombarded with the propaganda they get bombarded with all this misinformation. I mean, we see it day to day in the political world right now, right? Especially yeah. now, more than ever. And then you get with social media, there's the echo chamber, right? You start getting trapped. You start looking, you start going down a road with something, you get trapped in that. And that's the only thing you're going to see. So you're going to develop, whether you like it or not, you're going to develop some kind of opinion, either subliminally or subconsciously or whatever you want to call it, towards in this case, hunting and fishing, right? So we need to start addressing this. We need to start putting, for years and years, we were always taught as hunters, especially to be recluse, to be not in the limelight and to not put what we do in front of people and not really talk about it. And, you know, it was like fight club, you know, first rule of fight club is don't talk about fight club. And And I think 
the anti-hunting world has done an excellent job of utilizing that fact that we were just behind the scenes and we relied on the fact that we were going to stay relevant because of the money uh, situation, you know, with funding for conservation and management and all that stuff. And that, that, that was going to constantly save us. But now we're getting into this new world that all these seeds that they have planted over the years with movies like Bambi and, you know, all the money that that they've been saving up money and putting money together. They have a pact between a bunch of different organizations. Husis is like the main organizer of it. And it's got millions, like hundreds of millions of dollars. And anytime there's something that comes up like wolf hunting or bear hunting or something like that, they are uniquely in position to educate the non-hunting public on their narrative of the situation. And anytime that we're in a ballot box situation, we're going to lose because of that. And we need to do, we need to do the same thing. We need to have that same thing in place since we don't have the hundreds of millions of dollars. And we do, we have a lot of money in concept, but money goes to putting animals back on the mountain and, and habitat restoration and, and all that other stuff. So what needs to happen is we need to have a situation where we have money ready to go to like right now in November, there's a very good chance that the mountain lion bear hunting uh, and bobcat ban is going to be on the ballot box in November in Colorado. I haven't been able to stop thinking about that. Since Dude, we, we will lose that. We will lose that a hundred percent because Denver and Boulder are primarily, and I don't want to make this a political thing are primarily left people, right? And yep. are very easily swayed by the, you know, tugging on the heartstrings thing. And they're gonna lose. They're gonna lose. We just had an amazing win with the whole thing getting it off the ballot. But there's the way Colorado works, and I'm not sure about the thing, you know, I'm not really sure how it exactly works, but they went through some backdoor channels and some sneaky shit, and it's probably going to end up being on the ballot. And, and you're the only person I've heard that come from, of, that it's going to be around. There's a, lot of people, is, there's a lot of people talking about it. They're trying not to draw real much attention to it at the moment, but there's a lot of people that are talking about that are in the know. And it's... Yeah, I've been waiting to see... like see more about it like how is this it it really is flying under the radar yeah well because it's backdoor shit and it's yeah. sneaky there i'm i'm i mean this may not be exactly the case but you can envision it as somebody in a back room paying somebody off to get it on there that's basically what's happening Probably. and <laughs> i i can guarantee you that's what it is i don't know how the backdoor channels works over there but it, you know every state you have had, a lot of money Every state has different. Somebody with power, right? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And if it does that, I I will guarantee you, Denver and Boulder will have commercials. They will have billboards of you know hunters standing over dead bears with their foot on the head and just laying next to it. Just dumb stuff that you know we've weaponized them, you know, by giving them stupid content to use. The, the you know there's always the the one or two dumb things that somebody does that comes back and bites the whole rest of the community in the ass 
which is another. You want to be on a billboard? Yeah. Well, I mean, I just saw this on Instagram the other day. Some schmo. I knew I did it because I knew he he put it on there because he's going to get a shit ton of likes and a bunch of views. Like, okay, I get it. It's it's a, it's clickbait. It's a a buck with a crossbow bolt, um, through its head, like. You know, it's it's a flesh wound that's just through its skin. But does anybody think that this is a bad shot? Well, fuck yeah, it's a bad shot. Don't even freaking put that on there. Like you know, like that's right. like the kind of crap that's going to come back and bite you in the ass. But anyway, I I'm getting off topic here a little bit. Like maybe not off topic. Just think about what you guys post when you post things, and just because it's outlandish and it might do well for your social media platform. And you might gain a bunch of followers or for it. Think about that's it. The, Think about before you do it. <laughs> Seriously. I, we we I, all want to be Insta famous, right? But think about how you're going to get there. That's all about learning how to have that conversation. That yeah. same kind of deal is the headshots, the images just creates division. And I think how to have that conversation with people I mean, you're having a conversation by posting something. You're initiating conversation. Yes. Is to don't be brash. Right. That is a way of being brash. But instead, show your passion. If you want to take videos yourself doing whatever you do in the woods, then show your passion a different way than just a poor shot or yeah. a comment about how we don't know that situation we don't know what happened in that situation we can't but it's very easy to derive that somebody just tried to take a headshot but who knows maybe the deer was standing stationary and then when you shot he took you know he lunged forward or back or world or whatever and that's how it ended up in the head i don't know but the the fact of the matter is that piece of content is going to freaking hurt hunting there's and no way, no shape, no how that's going to in, – in no platform is that going to help us in any way, shape, or form. So you know what? And just interpret it in the worst way. Right. Like exactly. if you put anything out there, it's going to be interpreted probably in the worst way. Yeah, for sure. You just reminded me. You said, you know, how I'm figuring out how to start conversations. I was going to inject something before, and, and I'm going to say it now because it, you just re-reminded me of it. I've always found like, you know, starting a conversation with somebody who's a stranger, you know, you're talking somehow, some way, if you lead to what you do, somebody asks me, now this is, this is just me. You, you may not have this situation, but you can kind of, you know, tweak it to this. But mm-hmm. if somebody asks me, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I tell people I'm, I'm a professional hunter. And of course that always is a lead in. And I'll, I also tell people that I'm a you know, wildlife advocate. And you could see the puzzle, puzzling look on their face when those two words go, those two sentences go together. And it's like a perfect place because they, they want you to tell them more. And I've always been able to kind of like have start the conversation that way. You know, I don't really just walk up to be like, Hey, I'm John. I'm a professional hunter. I right? <laughs> you know, can't just do that. But yeah. you know, you start talking and you, you know, eventually you could ask them, hey, what do you do for a living? And, you know, what, oh, cool. Da, 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 yeah. Oh, that's great. You know, oh, yeah. What do you do? Oh, I do this. You know, and even if you're not, obviously, <laughs> the majority of us are not quote unquote professional and do not get paid to hunt for whatever or not guides or whatever the case may be, podcast hosts. You could you still, do this weekend? 
you could still, you can still, yeah, I guess say, what'd you do this weekend? Or you could still say, uh, oh yeah, I'm a wildlife advocacy advocate, you know, or I'm a, you know, wildlife conservationist, <laughs> whatever you can say, whatever you want that, to, to start that conversation because it's the truth. You buy a license, mm-hmm. you're a conservationist. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's terribly hard to have a cold call conversation so so to speak you just got to think about it a couple different ways and be and be ready to hit it from a couple different angles and 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 work your way to to that right so yeah so i i really liked the i listened to a podcast a long time ago something about i i never mind i'm not even gonna talk about that but it was something about being a stoic Mm -hmm. and in conversation and I think that carries so much more weight and then talking about yourself and this, I do this, I do that, I do this, but list by listening and having very thought out points that, that this is what I do and have, and show your passion of, of what, why you're, why you're going out hunting, I think is, is way more effective and going to be met with a lot less negative conversations. So mm-hmm. I, I like that word is stoic yeah. in that scenario very much. So, uh, one thing I do want to say, like if you do end up sparking a conversation with somebody and it feels like it's starting to turn on you, like they're going a certain way, I don't get heated. Do not get aggressive. Cause that's not going to help you at all. You just be, be prepared with your thoughts on, you know, the facts, the, the emotion, what it means to you be like, just have, have the answers and yeah, just be, be, you know, be prepared to, to not one, not get heated and give a clear, concise view that somebody can take and digest. And, you know, at the end of their conversation, if they still like, they're still on on the fence, you can tell them, Hey, go to, health wildlife education or look up the, the North American model of conservation and just direct them to do their own research. And they may do it. They may not do it, but at least, you know, you, you've given them food for thought and not just don't create more enemies is what I'm saying. You know, just be mindful. I like that you got that, uh, that model going now in in how and that you're you get we talked about that a couple of weeks ago and that mm-hmm. it's hitting the ground running like you said you had to get it get it going as fast as possible so i'm glad that's yeah it was always that's part had of some progress it was always part of our mission um it's just it requires a ridiculous amount of money like it's it's stupid like if we we started looking into like doing um billboards and stuff like that in some of these areas and it just it's a lot of money and I'm trying to put together, I'm going to invite you to this too. Once I get it put together here, um, look for lack of better terminology, like a symposium, a meeting of the minds and have all the influential people I know on there and try to get some of these other orgs involved, which is another, um, obstacle that's, is seeming to be pretty hard to overcome, but try to get as many people involved and start talking about, Hey, how can we put together a foundation or a pact and be on the ready for stuff like this in Colorado in November, where we can do our own campaigning to the non-hunting public and educating them on the 
you know, the truth <laughs> really. Yeah. We, yeah. we got that stuff going. We got that going for us. We have the truth. We have integrity. We have, we have the numbers, we have money. We just don't have them in the right places. And the other problem with us is as a community, and you know, I talked about this on your podcast that as a community, we're so concerned with our own niches. We're not concerned about hunting. Like you said it perfectly earlier. You're like, you realize that you enjoyed hunting turkey because you're a hunter. You know, even though you you associate yourself with a, as a big game hunter, this was also fun to you. You know, but you need to. We need to get people to understand that whether we participate in that type of hunting or that method of hunting or whatever, that we're all in this together. And if we don't, we're not looking at it that way. We're going to be in trouble. We're we're going to be in some serious trouble. So. Absolutely. And to have a, have a structure and a backbone to be able to fund that. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge hurdle, huge hurdle. But. Oh yeah. And it's, it's seemingly so easy because think about it. There's 16 million hunters. That's not sportsmen. Sportsmen, like if you include anglers, I think it's like 70,000 or 70 million, something crazy like that. But let's just say the 16 million hunters, since mostly hunting's under attack, fishing is under attack, but it's always, it's always hit more on the commercial stuff. And we do lose access to shorelines and access to, you know, to uh, ponds and, and stuff like that. And we're still working on, we're still working on some fishing stuff, but it's not nearly as um, in your face as hunting is. And so, but mm-hmm. let's, let's take the 16 million hunters in, in the United States. If we were to get $10 from every hunter in the United States. That's a whole lot of money. That would be plenty of money to put together commercials and advertisement and all this other good stuff. How we could probably even put together a freaking feature film and put it on Netflix. You know, stuff like that to start combating all the anti-hunting propaganda out there. Yeah. And, you know, then Houston can go back to fighting people who are developing cosmetics and hurting animals. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have to break hey. the hunter's chops who are if, actually if, doing, uh, who are actually doing something for wildlife. You know, that, if, if, if Black Lives Matter can raise a ton of funds to, to do whatever they did buy their million or their mansions or whatever <laughs> we can we can easily raise some money <laughs> yeah but, well that's the problem there's all this um skepticism out there now oh and sure. the, there's yeah, been absolutely. so much there's been so many people that have been taken advantage of and we see this a lot you know where they're like oh where's the money gonna go where's the money gonna go where's the money gonna? and i get it man it's 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 one of those things like People have been screwed over, you know, yeah. many, many times. And I'm, I'm naturally that way. I'm because I'm, I'm from New York. You know, I'm from Brooklyn. You're in my, in, in the way we grew up is you're, you're guilty until proven innocent. You know, it's not the other way around. And um, so it's a for me. I get it a hundred percent. I think what we need to do is have this super transparent foundation that you know. I mean, I would love for Howell to do it, but I, we're we're just too damn small. I need to have 
you know, this needs to be a, a pact. It needs to be a multi-organization deal. And I don't see, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but I don't see it working out the way it should. It should be so easy. It should be so very like, cool, let's get everybody together. Oh, between all of us, we have, you know, 5 million members. Let's, you know, let's put this out there and get, you know, 10 bucks from each of them or 15 bucks from each of them. And we're going to have money in place to to fight these things. We're not going to lose this shit in Colorado. And I just don't see it happening because the problem is right now is I think everybody looks at all these other organizations, not all, like I can't say all, but a lot of organizations will look at what you're doing as competition and possibly taking funding away from whatever it is that they're doing instead of looking at the big picture. um, You know, it's hard for me to, I feel like I'm, I'm constantly throwing other people underneath the bus and I don't want to do that. That's like not my, at the same time, I'm hoping like somebody would hear it and it's like a kick in the freaking pants and be like, okay, cool. Let's have this conversation. Let's, how can we make this work? What can we do for the betterment of all hunting? You know, what can we do? What can we really bring to the table and show this message that we've been toting around hunting is conservation? You know, I, I don't know. I really don't know. And I don't know that I'm smart enough or, you know, I'm myself and, and Charles pretty much doing everything, you know, when it comes to health and wildlife and we're having these conversations, we need people who are better than us. Cause yeah, I've been in this industry a long time. I, I understand a lot of things. I, I know how to make commercials. I know how to market and so on and so forth. Cause I've been in TV and all that, but it's like, I'm not the freaking guy. I'm not the guy. I may, I might be the guy to, that's bringing this idea to people, and but I definitely need smarter people than me and Charles to come up and 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 pick up the torch and and really you know make it something. Because I mean, ideas we're gonna are, lose it. <laughs> yeah, I, ideas and creativity is cheap, but putting the putting the work behind that is the hard part. So you're absolutely right. There's somebody out there with the answer. There's creative thinkers and people that have a good idea. It's just to do something with it. What you guys did Mm -hmm. was a crap load of work and a crap load of money to be able to put that together. Right. Absolutely. You know, I was trying to reach out to Mediator to have this conversation with them and, you know, because they've, they've got a, they're the only hunting thing that I know that has the crossover. They're on Netflix. They're on. They've right. they've crossed over. Actually, Stephen Ronella came from that side to this side. He was what was a it was a History Channel or Food Network. I don't remember what it was, but yeah. whatever it was, yeah. it was on a yeah. different deal before he came to mainstream hunting. He was in mainstream, you know, media, and right. his show touched a different you know, demographic, totally different audience. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I would, I would love to have a conversation with them. I'm, I'm fairly, I'm good friends with a, a couple of the guys that are, you know, in and, in and around it. But the problem is it's, you know, talking to the real powers that be. And I don't know that I'm going to have these conversations because 
hell, I've tried to have these conversations just to get, you know, somebody on the podcast or whatever at, at some point. It, it's like I have an easier time getting, you know, the yeah. president on. But yeah, I know. I, I got, I had Jim Shockey on my podcast. Like, that was like the pinnacle. It was like, the, I got him on there or I had one of my, someone I was working with helped me, help me with that. But nice. Like that wouldn't happen with him, with Ranella. No. It's, uh, he wouldn't have spent the time. I mean, he's got so much going on, but I, I don't know. They just, they, they I don't, just I don't know if it's that on. he has the time or not. It's just, there's too many guard gates, you know, too many, yeah. too many gatekeepers, I should say yeah. to get, to get to that point. But that's my whole point is like, how are we supposed to organize this big front when, and I'm not, I'm, listen, I'm not trying to be gloom and doom. I'm, I'm actually asking the people that are listening to this podcast, you got some ideas or you want to get involved, hit me, hit us up. Like, let, let's hear what you got to say. I'm, I'm for, I got an open mind. I'll listen to whatever you might have something or a better idea than me. You might be in some type of marketing, you know, you're, you're in mainstream marketing. You understand advertising, oh, get hold of me. Like I, I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to listen. We need to do whatever's necessary to not lose this. I, I really, for my, my whole life and I've, I've been, you know, a very, um, active participant in conservation in some way, shape or form for a long time. And I've never seen it to this point. Like this is, it's bad. Scary. It is. It's scary. It should be really scary for a guy like you. I mean, your, your livelihood, like if hunting goes away, ah, you know, I'm in construction. I, I was <laughs> like, I, I'll, I'll yeah. still be, I'll still be making money. Actually, I'll probably be making more money because I'm not going to be spending it or spending time away from my business doing other. So like it, it's not going to, I'm not doing this because it's going to affect my life in a uh, financial way. It, it's going to affect my life in a, in a very um, emotional way. Like I'm, I'm, I would hate to lose the, what I have so much invested into passion wise and financially right. really. But, uh, it's just, I want people to, to just come up with ideas, send them my way. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm good to listen to whatever, you know, there you go. I've got that, that. A lot of your, your things you're saying are exactly what I was thinking before about just answers to, to figuring this out getting involved some way, mm -hmm. either writing letters or involved politically showing up at commission meetings, doing that sort of thing, embracing different styles of hunting, share hunting with others. And however way that sounds giving back mm -hmm. financially or giving back by doing some conservation projects. I don't know, learn how to have the conversation. And if you have the creativity to create something then go do it or get someone that can do it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's all important. You need it all. You yeah. can't. And, and yeah. I don't know very many people that are more busy than I am. Like honestly, I don't. My wife is constantly telling me, "Time to turn it off. Time to turn it off." You know, get come sit down, relax. And I, yeah, I, I struggle with that. <laughs> you know, I I always I'm always burning it on both ends the candle. So it's like I don't accept that you don't have the time to be involved. Agreed. I don't uh, accept. I do not accept that from anyone. I really don't. Not at all. 
I have three businesses. I have three children. I have a wife. I mean, I run a podcast. I'm like, I, I am a very super busy person. And I think if you love hunting, you love fishing, you want to see the stick stick around, you want your grandkids to do it, your children to do it, you need to be involved on all fronts. And that's being an activist when policy is up in your face, need to be inv- directly involved some way, shape or form with, you know, habitat and putting animals back on the mountain. You need to be having conversations with the non-hunting public. You need to be possibly recruiting new new hunters in some way, shape, or form. If that's taking out a kid once a year, whatever, whatever the case may be, every little bit. And I'm not saying that you have to live and breathe it, but you have to carve out some amount of time to do it all. Right. Because totally it's agree. all important. And because there's only 16 million of us in a country of 330 whatever million there's a lot of weight that needs to be carried around by a small amount of people. And Agreed. that work has to be, that workload, that, that heavy lifting needs to be divided, divided up amongst us. Yeah. So anyway, you know, I'm getting off yeah, my soapbox. So uh, where can our uh, listeners find out more about you? And uh, you didn't even mention your podcast. What? What? Po- and you, we we said that you had a podcast, but we didn't mention the so, name of it yeah. and where to find it and all that stuff. Yeah. So uh, my podcast is really a learning platform, not not from me necessarily. I'll throw in a one one uh, episode a month deal, just kind of on a topic that really prefer that inspiring. <laughs> it inspires you to go figure something out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll throw in a few, couple little educational pieces from me here and there. But the, uh, I really just like to have guests on that, that are sharing something that's relevant that we can learn from, that we can be entertained uh, and just continue that motivation of getting out in the field and working at it and, and uh, um, having a good time doing it. So again, yeah, that's just my, uh, it's called the Western hunting Up podcast, Instagram and Facebook at, Western hunting up, uh, in two years, uh, two years of, of recording. So it's, uh, been a real fun, fun thing to do and, and awesome to, to connect with folks like yourself and, and a lot of my other guests. So that's, it's all this very similar, similar conversation of just, uh, learning from others. And I think that's how, how we, we keep, uh, building our armor is learning and being educated, just like what you guys are doing at Howl is getting, uh, focusing on that education platform. So yeah, if anybody's got some comments, questions, whatever, reach out and, and on Instagram and, or Facebook there. I, I'm very responsive to a lot of that. And I'm focused on being just an average blue collar worker that uh, has a normal eight to five job and fits hunting into all this. Uh, and so that's a, uh, I know there's my listeners appreciate that. Just someone that has a normal, normal hunting budget and tries to figure it out, put it in. Cause I will agree that there is always room for another season to get squeezed in there. Always room for another, another thing that you can do. So come check me out there and, and give it a listen. So, but I, I appreciate you having me on very much. So absolutely I enjoy talking about this stuff very much. It's been, been nice to get to know you and, and you got your organization there that you and Charles have started up and it's, it's cool. It's good stuff. 
Awesome. Thank you very much. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.